Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. You know, one of the cool parts of my job, uh, this is Tommy from Ops Analytica, by the way, is I talk to customers and owners and managers and executives all the time. And one thing that they voice to me is, you know, we are killing ourselves here at corporate trying to make it easier and to get all the roadblocks out of the way so these guys can just operate and just do as much sales as possible and yet we struggle to move the needle whenever we're trying to do anything and i have to explain to him that you think you're creating systems to help these guys but you're lacking accountability and data and without those two aspects you don't have a system you have a suggestion and we all know how we feel about suggestions. Yeah, I have my way of doing it. Thank you very much, I'm good. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you define the process, we help you hold your team accountable to doing it, and we give you measurable data that you can look at and determine if your solution's working and what's really happening. And it's that ability to measure and analyze which is going to allow you to actually move the needle on these initiatives, right? So remember, without accountability, it's not a system, it's a suggestion, and you need a platform in your business that will help you hold people accountable and measure their performance, and that's Ops Analytica. Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy, I'm back with another interview. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Steven Stoll. How are you doing, Steven? Hey, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Doing well. How about oh, you? You are very welcome. I'm doing great. I'm actually recording this from uh, Beaver Creek today, which is exciting. No snow, by the way. An alarming amount of zero snow. Like it <laughs> looks like summer. Not great. Um, so, Stephen, order up show, uh, very simple format here. I'm going to ask you the same five questions I ask all of my guests today. And let's just get started with number one. That's my favorite one, which is explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm currently the COO of restaurants for Maverick Hotels and Restaurants. So Maverick is a hotel and restaurant management company based out of Chicago, Illinois. Um, it's a relative startup. Uh, there's about 10 uh, venues in the company currently. Uh, the company was founded by Bob Habib, who came over from First Hospitality. Um, so a big piece of what we've been focusing on this last year is our developments at Navy Pier, which is the largest tourist uh, attraction in Illinois and in Chicago, but it's a pier that goes a mile out into the lake in the center of downtown Chicago, kind of looking back at the city, some of the best views in the city. Um, and so we, back in March, opened up a 222-room Curio Collection hotel there. And then we also run uh, Lyrica, which is the restaurant within the hotel, kind of Latin-inspired restaurant. And then we run at Navy Pier, the world's largest rooftop bar, uh, venue space, restaurant, as well, but it's a 50,000 square foot uh, bar and restaurant that's open year round um, out on the East End in Navy Pier. So probably from a square footage standpoint, certainly the biggest restaurant I've ever ran. Um, but kind wow. of talking back, going back a few years, 
I got my start in hospitality straight out of school. Um, I was done with school 2007, 2008. Uh, the job market was pretty tough. I was serving at a restaurant at the time to kind of help me get through school. The guy I worked for at the time ended up being a mentor of mine, but had a construction company and opened a restaurant on the side, uh, partially because he just wanted a good place to eat in the little college town that I went to school at. Um, and so I ended up managing his restaurant out of school. I was 21 years old and he basically handed me the keys and said, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have time to, to focus on the restaurant. I'd rather focus my efforts on the construction. Uh, I know you're a smart guy, figure it out. And here I am 15 years later and still in the industry and um, have since moved away from him. But um, it was, it was one of those positions where, you know, you just kind of got thrown the keys and you were either going to succeed or fail at it and did everything from accounting to inventory to running the restaurant, hiring, terminating. Um, you know, at the time I was managing people that were all older than me. So that was an interesting learning lesson. Um, but no, I wouldn't, I think the experience that he offered me was experience that would have been tough to find anywhere at that age. So I was with him for a few years. I opened a secondary kind of cafe with him um, that at the time was kind of a little bit ahead of its time, focusing on uh, dietary restrictions and craft coffee program and things like that. I moved to Chicago in 2012. Um, and in two that I've been working in Chicago ever since. My first job in Chicago was with Boca Restaurant Group. Um, I was a manager at their, at the time, their new restaurant, Little Goat Diner, which was a Stephanie Izard restaurant. So Stephanie's relatively well, well known in the Chicago and national circle, but she was a top chef winner back then, I think in 2010, then went on to win an Iron Chef competition and um, kind of has that celebrity chef status to her. But she currently has an entire empire of restaurants, but um, her second restaurant behind Girl and the Goat was Little Goat Diner. So I was on that opening team. Um, shortly after it opened, I was the general manager of Little Goat. I stayed with Boca Restaurant Group for a period of like six or seven years. Um, by the time I left the company, I was director of operations overseeing Stephanie's restaurants. So Girl and the Goat, Little Goat, Duck, Duck, Goat. Um, she's since gone on to open Cabra and girl and the goat in LA. Um, but I left her in 2018 uh, to take a similar role with Hog Salt, which is another big restaurant group in Ch that's based in Chicago, but has restaurants in Chicago, Las Vegas, New York. Um, the owner of the company is Brendan Sotikoff. Uh, it still is the owner of the company, but again, really impressive list of restaurants in Chicago. The Vets is a well-known one. O Cheval is a well-known one. Uh, several small Cheval locations, which is a kind of fast, casual burger restaurant, guilt bar. Um, but I think at the time when I was there, we had close to 20, 20 restaurants, most of those being in Chicago, one in Las Vegas and a couple in New York. Cool. And then um, who are you? And What's the name of the company you're working with today again? Sorry. Yeah, so it's Maverick Hotels and Restaurants. So I moved over, somewhat pandemic-related, but moved over uh, to the hotel world in the spring of 2020. Um, I've never worked in hotels before, so it's been a, an interesting transition. But um, 
yeah, so ever since spring of 2020, I've been with Maverick Hotels and Restaurants overseeing restaurant operations. That's wonderful. That's a cool job. You know, the thing that struck me about your first job was that it was kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a war story. You know what I mean? Like in the respect of which we always ask the last questions always give us a war story, but like, you know, you got thrown in the deep end of the pool and it was like sink or swim type situation. And obviously you swam, but I mean, like you said, I thought it was so point where you said earlier, it was like, you wouldn't have gotten that experience anywhere else. Cause no one would do that to anyone. You know what I mean? <laughs> like no, no normal restaurant group would be like, Hey, here's a PF Chang's go run it. You know what I mean? Like, well, no. yeah. like, so that probably was the greatest thing that could have happened to you because you got 10 years of restaurant experience in a year. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think from like a business standpoint, I had great people that I was working with, but from like a restaurant standpoint, it was all just kind of observing what was done at other great restaurants and learning from that and trying to institute it. And I did a lot of reading and, um, but yeah, it was, it was being a student of the game at the same point as trying to execute the game as well. So um, I'm glad that I was young when it happened because I was working constantly and, you know, I was, I was, you know, at the time I was probably pulling 16 hour days every day, seven days a week and just kind of sucking up every piece of knowledge that I possibly could. And I was, I was fortunate enough at the time to work with a really talented chef that had um, a good network of experience uh, French Canadian guy, so a lot of classic French techniques that, you know, obviously there was a lot to learn from there. Um, and the, you know, the restaurant wasn't a huge restaurant. I think it was probably seventy or eighty seats, uh, but it was in a university city, so it got a lot of traffic from the university doing interviews and from Google events and special occasion out. It was definitely the nicest restaurant in the city, so. Um, it was great though. It was, I wouldn't replace the experience for anything. And it's really the experience that um, kind of solidified that I wanted to stay in hospitality. That's cool. I was in a similar situation where I went to hotel restaurant school, but when I graduated, I got a job as an assistant operations manager at a country club. And, you know, I'm 22, something like that. And, you know, I was working with all these people that were way older than me and you know it was a brand new gm who brought me in to backfill this other uh, person who was already there and it was the same situation where you know it was slightly different in the respect of you come out of hotel restaurant school and you basically learn that this stuff exists in restaurants but you don't know anything about the restaurant you're working at you got to go figure all that out and being like right out of college managing people you know that were way older than me that have way more experience at that location you know what I mean? And yeah. those two things were like, you know, that's just a very hard, that's a very weird situation to get thrown into and you will either sink or swim again in that specific situation. And I had the same one. So cool. Um, so another crazy thing is I used to wait tables at the Dick's last resort in Chicago when it was <laughs> on the North right next to the Navy fair, which yeah, um, yeah it's still there. Nice job. Unless it's moved in the water. Yeah, they moved it inland. I think the rent got too high or that building kicked them out because they wanted to put something nicer in there. But man, I made some great money. And that was such a fun. Chicago is such a great city to live in when you're young. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, in Chicago, 
we would go out drinking like as waiters we would wait wait tables till like two midnight one two whatever it was and then we would go out and have beers and go get dinner you know like chicago is definitely a 5 a.m town and like you know i many a night been at that restaurant called the wiener circle you know oh, on yeah. the cold coast like getting gross hot dogs and getting abused and like i mean it's just what a fun city when you're young i can't even imagine going out at midnight now and there'd be no reason to do that. but <laughs> yeah no it's I'm a no great man. industry it's definitely a great industry city and the, even though it's a big city the industry family you know i you, you know people everywhere you go and um yeah, yeah I, for good or bad there's several bars in chicago that are open until 4 a.m so that kind yeah. of helps feed that <laughs> industry aura as well but yeah those those years are behind me as well <laughs> so yeah cool let's go to question number two then what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now yes yeah, so we're i think a good thing to talk about would be so this offshore rooftop that i mentioned that is fifty thousand square feet um you know it's it's quite a puzzle to fig- try to figure out how to activate it fully it's just a lot of square footage most of it's outside um i actually did an interview recently kind of talking about seasonal hiring and seasonal hiring's tough every year um but it's obviously been especially tough this past year um especially without in a city like chicago j1s typically help out with the seasonal hiring needs but they you know that's another program that's been temporarily paused because of the pandemic um But so we're, you know, offshore opened back in uh, summer of 2019, you know, and then closed before the pandemic March, before it was even a year old. And then we kind of had this half summer in 2020 where we were able to activate it and then we had to close it back down when Chicago closed down indoor dining um, in the fall of 2020. And then we reopened it again when outdoor or indoor dining opened back up in april of this past year and so even though it's been open for you know going on two years here we feel like we're actually kind of opening it for with its full potential for the first time going into this summer and so offshore has thirty thousand square feet of outdoor terrace and we're trying to figure out a way so that we don't have all these seasonal fluctuations and how many staff members we need because we go from the off season where the venue probably really only needs 25 full-time hourly employees in both front house and back house and then that need translates during the summer months the five or six months where chicago is tolerable outside (laughs) to needing (laughs) needing 200 plus employees and so we're trying wow. to use some of the technology that's come out of the pandemic to fully activate the space. And um, we're actually trying to create kind of two venues within the venue where the indoor space and the terrace, the, kind of like the most prime seating of the venue will be full service restaurant bar, probably more elevated that's, than it's been in the past. And then we're going to take a section of the, the outdoor terrace space, so probably 20,000 square feet plus, and create a secondary concept that's more casual and vibe, um, kind of, you know, package stuff. We're going to try to leverage the QR code, not just the menus, but the QR code ordering that you've seen rolled oh, out yeah. at some more casual locations um, to kind of reduce our need for servers um, and just kind of create this like secondary venue within the venue 
that feels more casual, especially for those, you know, it's no secret that Navy Pier sees a lot of tourists. So especially for those folks that want to come up, grab a drink, take a photo and kind of move on. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun though, trying to like figure out a, how to staff 50,000 square feet, B, how do you put together a kitchen and a menu that can support, you know, up to a thousand people being in the venue at any given time. Um, and you know, the staffing model that can support that. So we're hopeful, we're hopeful by kind of creating two concepts within the concept, it'll, you know, attract, cause it'll attract everybody that wants to come up there at that point. Cause then you're comfortable coming up, even if you just want to come up and grab a Modelo and take a photograph and your check is less than 10 bucks, you know, there's opportunity for you. Or if you're that, that group that wants to come up for Saturday night and have a great dinner and um, there's that opportunity for you as well. Yeah, they, I have, uh, I went to the football game and uh, at Mile High Stadium and I was in the United Club section and they have the, you scan a barcode and then you order and then they deliver the drink right to your seat type of thing. Yeah, yeah Wrigley Field is doing the same awesome. thing this summer. So it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, I think the technology that's, and again, I'm not saying it's all pandemic related. I think the technology was there before. No. It just wasn't really utilized very much, but I, you know, I think there's, especially like a sporting event, like the fan experience is, is great when you don't have to leave mid game and go wait in line for 30 yeah. minutes for, for a hot dog. Um, you know, and I, I think people would be willing to even pay a premium for that type of service as well. You know, I think I was, I was paying like about two bucks more, I think for everything like total, like, so I think if I bought like two beers, it would have been 13 bucks downstairs and I was paying like 15, 16 bucks. That might have even been tip. I have to look at that. But yeah, sure. no, but I think that that, you know, yeah, because the reality is, is that we've got to utilize technology in all aspects of the business now to make up for this, um, these, these staffing issues because they're not going away. And I mean, I, we we've been talking about staffing in the restaurant industry for ever since I've been in the restaurant industry since like the end of the eighties, like, you know? Yeah. So, I think like, especially in a city like Chicago, I think people try to say it's COVID related, which listen, yes, I think there's an aspect that's COVID related, but you know, I've been running rest, restaurants in Chicago for 10 years now, and it is a task to get staffed for summer every summer it's not yeah. you know it i think people are forgetting that like back in 2019 before all this started it was still hard to build a team with enough people to support the increased demand that a city like chicago sees during the summer months well so. and i've said it a million times and that's chicago is the home of the national restaurant association but like they've got to use some of this money they're getting to make working in like you know, there's a certain group of people who know working in restaurants is cool, but like we've got to start attracting, we got to start making the restaurant industry a viable career 100%. choice for yep. people. Not, yep. you know, nobody's proud to go, hey, like, like there's a stigma to saying I started at McDonald's or I was my Denny's waitress or, you know what I mean? Like we, we've allowed, we've allowed Hollywood and everybody to like kind of make us not be as cool. And like in a lot of ways, but like we've got to turn that narrative around and and convince people that working in our industry is cool. And not only that it's cool, but it is an actual career path 
where you can make a lot of money and you know the listeners i say this every episode but like i'm sure they're getting sick of me saying this but like we're one of the few industries where you can still go out and make 150 dollars as and, and grow a career without having to have a college degree you know what i mean yeah. like and so 100%. i just think that incumbent upon us in the industry to talk about how good this is as an industry to work in but then also i do think the national restaurant association and you know they should be they should be doing some campaigns or something trying to get people to go hey this is a good job for you because we offer a lot of things you know like not everybody wants to drive uber you know what i mean but they want shift work you know what i mean not everybody has a car or wants anybody in their car or wants to be in traffic but they want to work weird hours because they want to support that thing they did when i was in the restaurant industry like after i graduated from college i did stand up for 10 years and i and if i hadn't had the restaurant industry i would not have been able to do stand up for that long because i could wait tables and make money you know what i mean so yeah there's just yeah i think that out there i think first we need to try to get rid of the stigmas within the restaurants too you know i i I think they're personified by the people that are working in the spaces and you know I, I again I did an interview last week and I was kind of talking about this and I think there's like three categories of restaurant employees there's the one category of career restaurant professionals that are great and love it and you know fully embody that they're going to do it forever and they're you know they're some of the we, we know who they are because they're some of the best servers and yeah. industry professionals that we see when we go into these great restaurants and then there's like the second group that you know is constantly saying it's just a means to the end means to the end um yeah. and oftentimes those are the employees that aren't 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 the best and then yeah. there's c there's the group that does it because it kind of fits their schedule or fits their needs and maybe they've got kids and they want to work opposite schedule their partner or maybe they've got a stand-up career and they want to have the flexibility yeah. um and those are great too. And but I, I think this like next generation because truly I, I think we're rebuilding the next generation of if hospitality professionals right now because we have lost a lot of them forever for the pandemic that have either found out their work or or you know just over over what restaurants can offer them. Um, but no, I, I think internally we need to rebuild the stigmas and the, the stigmas are have been personified a little, for a long time by restaurant leadership and ownership that it hasn't treated them like real jobs. And so this all, this all starts with better wages, better, better uh, benefits. And, you know, it kind of starts at the top and trickles down from there. So again, I know there's been a lot of headway within restaurants over the last 18 months that are helping to kind of speed up this process. And I, I really even think over the last five or six years, there's been a change in trajectory and how leadership within restaurant companies and hospitality companies are, are looking at their employees. And I think, for the first time ever, you're really seeing a sense of these restaurant hospitality companies investing fully in their employees because they're realizing that their employees are their lifeline. Yeah, so, which, I, is, I would which is a good change, a good change. So, absolutely. And I mean, the reality is, is that you know you can't serve people without people. You know what I mean? Like, and like we can all have robots, but you know, and that's fine. Like eventually there'll be more robots and whatever, but you know, part of a great experience is the person going, Oh no, don't eat that. You, you don't yeah. want that. You got to get this instead. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, or whatever. Of course. Yeah. Or having like just being in the 
the atmosphere that the employees can create, you know, is so vital. And I mean, yeah. And I do, I agree with you. I do think that people have finally woken up to the fact of, well, I think because applications have been going down for so long, yeah, people have woken up that if I got somebody and they're showing up and they're doing a good job, I got to take care of this person. Yeah. Um, period. Because I, you know, I can't live without this person. And, you know, it's funny because in Chicago, Shaw's Crab House, it's the one that's, uh, isn't it? It's a Let Us Entertain Your Restaurant, I think. Uh, yeah, it is. Is it Shaw's? Yeah. Yep. And so the last couple of years before, we didn't go, obviously, I think we're going to go this year to, or next year to the restaurant show. Obviously, I hasn't been one in the last two years. But for the last couple of years, my business partner and I stopped. We would always travel in for the restaurant show and would stay for a couple of days. And then we just finally got to the point where like, we can do like one monster day at the show and see everything we want to see. And so we started going to Shaw's to eat dinner. So we would go. And then like the last time we did, we got that like five pound King crab that they bring out in that giant tray full of ice. I mean, it was amazeballs, but we sit at the bar and the same bartender's there every year. And I was talking to her and she's like, yeah, I've been here for 27 years. Yeah. You know? Got yeah. A 401k, she's got health insurance. She, she works the best schedule. She's a professional, but I mean, you know, that five pound crabs like three or $400 and we're eating that. We're usually eating there around five or six at night. She's got, I mean, she probably makes a thousand dollars a night. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. of course, like that's a crazy job. You know what I mean? Like, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah for sure. Anyway. All right, cool. Let's go on the next question. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Uh, I mean, over the summer, it, would, it truly was this, this labor shortage or whatever yeah. we want to call it. Um, I mean, it was tough. It was in the trickle down sure. effect of it all. And again, you've got management that's like filling holes that, you know, they shouldn't necessarily have to be filling on a day-to-day basis and we were overworking management from an hour. So like, as we're trying to like rebuild this culture, this culture and, you know, really kind of invest back in, into the, in the team members and the management, you're at the same time having to ask them way beyond their, ask them to work way beyond their means and asking yourself to work way beyond your means. And I think, you know, it, it by no means was perfect from a service personnel because you were, so short staffed and you know that the trickle down effect that comes with that with the reviews and you know you're you're trying to you're trying to just keep up but you're you're constantly being broken down and i've said to many people that i think this past april may and june are the three toughest months that i've had in restaurants period um just because expectations were through the roof i mean truly the demand was also just as but just as high as it was back in 2019 because i think so many people were just excited to be out again and you know you have this whole new not new group but this whole group of people that was re-engaged because they had been vaccinated and um you know you were we were basically just having to reopen our restaurants and rehire our restaurants and it was like opening all your stores at the same time with no staff um but yeah it was it was a tough 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 several months um you know, and then I would say now what's keeping me up at night is just kind of the seasonal swings that we're seeing are, I think, across the board in, in cities like Chicago, New York, L.A. are are higher than they usually are because typically this time of year, corporate travel and corporate spend 
would come in and kind of help bail you out from a revenue perspective because that transient traffic always dies down this type of year. Um, but we've actually yeah. seen a much, much tougher swing this year because that corporate travel, corporate spend just hasn't come back. Um, you know, our, our, our bookings kind of going into the Christmas season across the board um, are down from what they would be in a typical year. And it's not to say that companies aren't assembling at all, but, you know, in the past you might get a buyout event with, you know, 200 people from a company coming in and renting out your space. But now it's a lot of 25 person parties or 30 person parties because companies are either assembling in smaller groups or not assembling at all. Um, and so, sure. you know, I think there's like this common feeling that restaurants and hospitality and hotels are, have come out of it or are coming out of it. And yeah, while the summer was great, I think everybody would agree that it was great. I think hotel occupancies were great. Um, spend was great, but you know, there has been this kind of shift this fall. And I know that we're all worried about the winter and how that relates um, just to kind of get back to, you know, April or so when, when that transient swing starts to come back into play, but you know, trade shows that used to happen either aren't happening or they're happening at 20% of what they were a few years ago. Um, so it's, yeah. I mean, while, while it's much better than it was a year ago, it's still, still not easy by any means. Well, yeah. And I mean, I, I remember at Dick's, like Dick's was all corporate spend. I mean, occasionally people would come in and spend their money there, but it was expensive. And, but it was always the place that, you know, a sales guy brought 12 people and just got rowdy. You know what I mean? And yep. it was wonderful because they would just tip 20% every time. Like sweet. Um, yeah. So I, I totally hear you on that. You know, we have, um, one of the big hotels out here, the Gaylord in Denver, uh, they opened up a Gaylord in Denver. They got through like one season and, and then, you know, the pandemic hit, they got through like Christmas in 2019. And then in 2020, obviously the pandemic hit They're 80% of their business. I mean, they are a corporate, you know, uh, conference hotel, 80 plus percent of their business is that. So when that dried up, I mean, you know, you're sitting on a, you just built whatever, I mean, how many millions of dollars that hotel cost? You know what I mean? Like hundreds of millions of dollars and you're just like, ah, freaking yeah. out. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, especially because like my buddy who's, he, he's a travel, he works um, at uh, VMware, which is a big tech company. He's just the head of sales. He's got like $2 billion quota, that type of thing, like a whole business line. But he hadn't tried, he was one of those guys that traveled, you know, every week of the year and he's only started traveling again since the pandemic like last month yeah you know what i mean so and, you know and i think a, i think corporate travel has come back to some degree but it's i mean it's certainly yeah. i don't know what the percentage is but it's certainly not even close to where it was back in 2019 yeah. so and i think the two industries yeah. that are still seeing the effects of it yeah and again like you people are traveling on the weekends and, you know, I, I was actually just in the airport on Friday and it, it seems like it's normal in the airport, but the reality is, is that there just isn't a lot going on, you know, during the week, Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday. So, sure. which is the Absolutely. same thing that we're, we're seeing in, in the hotels. It's our weekend occupancy tends to be pretty strong or I don't even want to say strong, but relatively normal. Um, but then our, our weekday occupancy is, you know, non-existent for the most part. So, Sure. So I'm going to ask this question. It's my new question I've been throwing in. What do you think the number one attribute, you have to boil it down to one attribute. What's the top attribute of successful hospitality companies? 
Yeah, I mean, so my experience is more so in restaurants, and I think restaurants um, have got a few different phases that they've really got to hit out of the ballpark to be successful. And I, I think a few of them are pretty obvious, but obviously the food's got to be great. Obviously the drinks have to be great and unique and, you know, feel elevated. Service is a huge piece of it. And I, that's not just service from your server. That's everybody across the board from the person that you see when you walk in the door, just kind of being excited and pumping you up about your experience. Service has got to be thorough. Um, you know, I think that even high end restaurants have gotten to the point of like relaxing service a little bit, which I think is, is good. Um, where your servers are kind of like making a connection with you. But, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what's what's the best dining experience that you've had recently or ever? And never do I mention a restaurant that wasn't put over the top by service. So I think service is more important than ever. Um, and I think design is also more important than ever. I think you want to be in a space that feels great and kind of takes you out of your normal elements. And, you know, I think you can do a lot of things with design. I think you can take people that back in time with design. I think you can take people into a really modern space that feels elevated. Um, there's a lot of successful ways to do it, but I think restaurant design is more important than ever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think those are like the, the three big pieces that you have to hit out of the ballpark um, to even be in the conversation anymore. And I think, a lot, you know, a lot of restaurants might put one or two of those together, um, but I think very few put together service, great food and beverage, and great setting or great design, great ambience. Yeah, the, and the hard part too with the ambi the, the design part of thing, I think is that you hear about these restaurants that are starting out and they spend a million dollars building out their space, but I mean that puts so much pressure on the bottom uh, 100%. line. Yeah, that rent. You're if you're in a, a prime location and then you drop another million dollars on building it out, I just look at that from the perspective of good God, you got to be successful. <laughs> like you, you don't, you don't give yourself any time to grow. If you have all this pressure on those monthly fixed costs that are coming in, you know? Well, and the expectations have changed so much too, you know, like it used to be, yeah. you know, kind of get off the ground and you probably have a little bit of time before you need to be profitable, but anymore, it's so cutthroat, especially in cities like Chicago, where you're, the expectation is if you're the operator, you're profitable right away. That doesn't matter if you opened in August or, or February, you better, you better be able to bring some money to the bottom line. So it's, the pressures are higher, but I, I think the operators are better than ever as well now. And, you know, there's so many tools that people have now that they didn't used to have from a scheduling standpoint, from a statistics standpoint, analytics standpoint. Um, and there's so many good tools out there. And I think the best operators are, are using those tools to the, to the fullest extent. That I would agree on. I mean, you know, in the past, before before like personal computers, like and I'm like the eighties, right? And nineties, you know, where, where POSs were just getting out the thing. So much of what you did was, you know, it, it was just, it was so much time and energy just trying to figure anything out. You know what I mean? And you, you were just kind of guessing a lot of time. And now you can have every piece of data that you would ever need to make a decision a good a better decision than you would ever want and there's so many t tools and they're really not that expensive i mean for a couple hundred bucks a month you could outfit your entire you could have every system you would ever need to run a restaurant 
you know, and do it well and make good decisions and not just guess. Because yeah. so much of the industry, so much of the experience that managers draw off of, right? And in my experience, you know, a, a restaurant manager's got 30 years experience. That's great. That just means that you know how to handle weirdo events that don't happen all the time. Because you've seen them at least once in your career. But there's nothing that substitutes looking at your numbers, looking at your schedule, doing your inventory, using, uh, you know, your checklists, you know, implementing those systems that's still required of every single restaurant manager, right? That they still have to do that every single day to make sure they're not missing stuff that, that could cost them, you know, I overscheduled and now I get, I'm sending people home, but I'm getting fined. So, you know, I'm losing my labor costs spiked because I sent a bunch of people home because I didn't schedule correctly, you know, stuff like yep. that. So it's just nuts. And, and I get very frustrated with man, restaurant managers sometimes because I'm like, look, like I said, just because you have 30 years of experience, that doesn't mean that you know that the cooler is the right temperature. You got to go look at the cooler, you know, it doesn't mean that your numbers are right. You got to go do inventory. You got to like manage your, your, um, invoices yeah all those things have to actually you have to physically do that and if you don't want to do that then you shouldn't be a restaurant manager you should try to get to the next level up and get out of the restaurant level of the business and start managing managers but if you're a restaurant manager then you have to be doing those system type stuff every single day yeah. if you're not then you're not doing that. well and i think you need to understand how I, and you can give give management all the data in the world, but unless they know how to utilize that data, then, you know, it doesn't help you there. Exactly. But I think like the things that restaurant management or restaurant leadership used to look at on a monthly basis or a weekly basis. Now all of those things are real time. I mean, you can, there's an app that you can pull up that can show you exactly what your labor percentage is at seven o'clock on a Friday night. And, you know, as long as you know how to interpret that data and, know whether you should cut people or <laughs> whatever exactly. next steps you should be able to take. But the, the toughest part of that is just finding the right people to be able to interpret that information and make the correct decisions. Cause it is, you know, it is, it's all real time decisions. So. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's funny. Cause when, when I was managing, you know, I would go to the Aloha and I would pull up some manager screen and we had three KPIs on there. It was like labor comps and sales, I think. Cause I think we were using the Aloha for our, um, for our, our time clock as well. And I remember that I would go and look at that. Like every 15 minutes, yeah, I'd walk the floor, run some checks, help bust some tables, hit the register, you know, and that was like my path. You know what I mean? Like that's all I did all night long. And now, but you're right. The thing is, is that if you don't know what the standard is for the KPI, it doesn't matter. Labor's 87%. Is that bad? Yes, it's really bad. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's a good point. Um, I right, question number four. What is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Oh man. Um, I mean, I think again, it was like very easy to point blame on this labor shortage back at like the employees for not coming back to work and I don't think there was like enough like internal examination being done on like what we could have been do- done differently to prevent the shortage. Um, sure. So I don't know. I think there was just some short sightedness out of the industry. And it, this is across the board, even probably myself included, but 
Um, I think everybody was, not everybody, but a lot of people were quick to kind of point the finger the other way when we probably should have been pointing the finger back at ourselves and saying, what could we have done to build a better culture within restaurants leading up to this? And, you know, because of that, we're, we are fighting from behind. And I think, I think the industry will learn from it. And I think it's obvious the industry has learned from it, even just job postings that you see from companies, large companies are, are so much different now than they were a year and a half ago, where the company kind of leads with what's in it for the employee rather than leading with what's in it for the employer, um, which is, sure. isn't a strategy that you would have seen a couple of years ago. So and I've seen positions created in, in several companies that are just kind of focused like 100% on culture of the company and kind of an extension of HR and you know, I I think it would have been hard pressed to go back ten years ago and even find some decent sized restaurant companies that had an HR department. There was probably somebody that was just doing it as a secondary function of their already overworked job. Um, and so now it's you know it's, I think it's great to see that companies are really investing back into their employees, into their leadership, um, and hopefully preventing the next you know hiccup that might cause the same type of labor shortage. So, yeah, I guess my I, to I answer your question, I guess we were. I wish we were further along when we kind of hit the pandemic than what, what we were. And the pandemic's kind of forced us to get into super speed. But um, you know, in an ideal world, we would have been further. Yeah, it's interesting because I interviewed the chief people officer for Torchy's Tacos, and she was talking about how they like they like personality profile the team at each restaurant. And so they know like, hey, we need a manager that's a little bit more on the analytical side to fill out this team because we got some dreamers and some artists and, you know, some creatives. And we need like, we need someone to like, you know, an Excel person to bring it on the round out the team. You know what I mean? And I remember her saying that and I was just thinking, well, first of all, awesome that you guys are doing that. Number two. I've never worked in a restaurant company that ever even had the bandwidth to do that because we've always been behind the gun from a hiring perspective. But like, I just thought that was so cool that that's where their head was at. Like we want to, we, we want to build these well-balanced restaurants and teams, you know, but then let's be honest too, Torchy's tacos and that space is killing it right now. High AUVs, hip place, always busy, you know? So like, and, yeah. I think that they have, they're at the top of their game and they're in that sweet spot. And you don't get to be in that sweet spot for so many years where you're just slam busy and growing like crazy and the hottest thing. Right. So it good on them for doing that. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think I, that's the trend in like restaurant companies as well, though. I think you're seeing companies third party less out and trying to do more of an internal. Um, and I think that's across the board, you know, like in, Again, if you flash back 10 years ago, I can't remember the company I was working for at the time having a graphic designer, for example, on the team. But now it's like almost standard that if you've got a decent sized company, you need that internal graphic support and it gives you full creative. And, um, you know, again, I think it's just the updated way of looking at things. And it's my time at Hogsalt. Especially, I was only there for 18 months, but I mean, he, Brendan had built a company that basically had a professional in every specialty across the board. You know, that company actually had its own internal engineering team so that it wasn't, it wasn't sending out third-party requests to have refrigeration fixed or, 
Um, and yeah, it, it does a lot to add to payroll, but at the same point, you're controlling everything on your own time and you're not necessarily having to pay out a premium when that cooler does go down in the middle of service on a Friday night. So interesting yeah, updated way that... to look at it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're losing some jobs. You know, it's just the, it's a constant evolution of capitalism. We're, you know, we're losing some positions, you know, but then we're creating brand new positions to, to focus on different things as the businesses evolve. One thing I will say that I don't think enough people think about too, when it comes to like restaurants and hiring and all that is you need to have uh, busy restaurants tend to keep their employees longer than slow restaurants. There's just something about being in a slow restaurant that, you know, high volume people and obviously you would it makes sense right the servers and like the bartenders if you have those positions they make more money so of course they're going to stay but like i just think in the back of the house too being in a slammed environment is much better for those guys as well and i've worked both sides of the both you know front of the, house and the back of the house and not from my own personal perspective you know just standing around being bored was the worst part of like being in the back of the house you know what i mean like I never looked forward to that. It was always the worst day. Well, and so I, when you have that, yeah, go on. I was gonna say running a really busy restaurant is so much yeah. easier than running a restaurant that ebbs and flows. Because oh, a really yeah. busy, a really busy restaurant, you can just staff the same way every night. People are excited to come yeah. to work. They know they're gonna make money. You know, you've got yeah. consistent staffing levels. Yeah, you know, you know how the restaurant's gonna fill. You're going to stay on pace all night because you need to, because you got reservations coming in. So it's like, as long as you do that first turn well and seat that first turn well, you're going to set yourself up for success the rest of the night. Whereas like a slow restaurant, you know, you're trying to cut every corner you possibly can to save on labor. That restaurant is still going to fill up during that peak time, that 630 to eight o'clock reservation time frame. So then you're wildly understaffed for that hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, I've, I've ran them both and running, a lot of people would think that running a really, really busy restaurant is probably tougher than running a restaurant that ebbs and flows throughout service, but it's running that busy restaurant is, is much easier because you can just, you keep it consistent and it's the same service every single night. And typically it's the same schedule every single week for your team members. And there isn't this up and down that exists. So, And you don't have as much turnover and so, and your team performs better because they're more experienced you know what i mean like and so like i ran one of the i was a floor manager one of the busiest pf chanks and i kitchen just like it cranked food and you know it was just amazing to watch because everybody was like an a player and if you weren't an a player you didn't make it you know what i mean like they got rid of you they found the right guys like it was it was great so yeah i just feel like so much of being like so much of that. I don't know why I brought that point up, but I just, that's some point that I just busy restaurants always seem to be doing better. Not just because they're busy, because they're busy, everything. It's just all like cascades, like a snowball rolling down a hill. Anyway. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, we kind of hit all of our big questions. I got my last question for you, which is the war story. Give me a funny cringe worthy war story. I don't care. You don't have to tell me where it was from. But I like, you know, 
I want yeah, I can. Funny. <laughs> uh, so yeah, kind of a cringeworthy story. So we, this is probably six or seven years ago, but we had booked our largest catering gig ever. Um, we were doing, we were basically providing constant hospitality and food and beverage for a three day expo um, for upwards of like a 2000 people kind of coming in to see a showroom during a larger event. And so um, biggest contract that we'd ever done. We tried to put our best foot forward. It was the first year that we had done it. We had option to renew for another three years after that, if we were successful. And so, and we again pulling like some of the longest days ever. You'd come in at four a.m. to start brewing coffee because you needed to brew a hundred gallons of coffee by eight o'clock when the when the event started. Um, long day because you were doing constant service for breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, and then cocktail reception after. So I think I remember getting back to the restaurant at midnight or so to kind of close out, walking out to go home just to turn around to be back there at 4 a.m. And we happen to see the client walking through the West Loop. And the client says, hey, do you know if anybody, we're trying to get into the private lounge at Soho House. Do you know anybody that can help us get up there? <laughs> and uh, our, my event director at the time and I were like, oh, well, we know the GM of the hotel. Let's walk you over and get you up there. And so we walked them over to Soho House, kind of claim who they are, who we are, they let us up to the private lounge and like, oh, you got us up here. You need to stay and have a drink or two. So we ended up hanging out with them until 1.30 or 2 o'clock, probably getting to know the client better than we ever should have, just to have to turn around to be back at work again the next day at 4 a.m. Uh, I think I oh. slept in the car for a couple of hours. And then, of course, <laughs> the next morning, kind of seeing the client at the show, um, just did it, you know one of those kind of cringeworthy yeah. like you do it because you have to and it's part of the industry and it's fun but then the next morning you're you're questioning all the decisions that you made so oh yeah i always tell my son or my daughter when they're up partying too late and they're like nine and eleven so they're not you know they stay up yeah. and watch like a movie, too much candy and they can't sleep i'm like you know in the restaurant industry you can go out and party all night long but you show up and open the restaurant the next morning like that's oh, yeah. the deal <laughs> so you get up and go to school, you dirtbag. Sorry they yeah. ate too much chocolate at eight thirty, but you know. Oh, but man, truly going above one. and beyond for the client, yeah. It was it was still one of those like memorable, most miserable days of my life. The next day, that's why it's a war story because you don't do it every day. <laughs> but then you can like you could you get a part of that story like, to some young manager. But you better believe that we got that contract for the next three years after that week. So. I guess yeah, it's worth right. it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the Order Up show. And thank everybody for listening. And uh, I will put down uh, links to um, Maverick Hotels uh, on the on the show notes and your hiring page. So if anybody's looking for a gig, they can go and apply. And um, appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.